This is episode 299 of the AWS podcast, released on February 17th, 2019. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the AWS podcast. Simon Lesha here with you. Great to have you back. Lots of things on our update show today, so without further ado, let me get right into it for you. Firstly, we have a whole lot of new service level agreements available to our customers. These are all at the 99.9% SLA level with details uh, around the SLAs in the show notes. However, the services that are covered are Amazon Kinesis Data Firehose, Amazon Kinesis Data Streams, Amazon Kinesis Video Streams. We also are including the Amazon Elastic Container Service for Kubernetes or EKS, the Elastic Container Registry or ECR, Amazon Cognito, AWS Step Functions, AWS Secrets Manager, and finally, Amazon MQ. So all these services now have a 99.9% service level agreement that you can access and take advantage of should you need to. Moving on to storage. Obviously, everyone has uh, lots of storage and storage is growing all the time. And one of the challenges is protecting your data. Things can be deleted accidentally. Uh, Things can go awry, things go bump in the night. So you do need to back up. That uh, never goes away really. And so we're pleased to announce AWS Backup, which is a fully managed backup service that makes it really easy for you to centralize and automate the backup of data across AWS services in the cloud, as well as on-premises. So now you can protect a whole lot of different resources. I'll tell you what they are shortly with just a few simple clicks in the console, or you can also configure it through the command line and other mechanisms. And of course, you can automate the backup scheduling, set your retention policies, monitor all the recent backup and restore activity. It's a really neat solution that kind of just works and takes advantage of all the storage options that you have available to you. So you can now back up different resources on AWS, things like Amazon EBS volumes, Amazon RDS databases, DynamoDB tables, EFS file systems, and AWS Storage Gateway volumes as well. So this really gives you a whole lot of different options about how to protect your data without having to spend uh, on costly custom solutions or scripting up a whole lot of manual processes, et cetera. So I'm really excited to see what people do with this because I think this is one of those types of services that people are going to take a lot of, lot of advantage of, I should say, and grow over time. Now, this is currently available in the US East North Virginia, US East Ohio and US West Oregon and EU Island regions. And we expect it to be available in more regions very, very soon. If, however, you're using a virtual tape library or the AWS Storage Gateway, there are some really good features available for that now as well. Firstly, they have introduced volume detach and attach, so now you can easily move volumes between different host platforms. Now, this is really useful if you're migrating between gateways to refresh the underlying hardware or you're switching between virtual machine types, a whole bunch of reasons why you might want to do this, so now you can. It's very simple and straightforward, and you can attach it to different supported host platforms. Again, links in the show notes. There are also now some improvements to the performance for the tape gateway. So when you're using the tape gateway configuration, there are now some best practices that you can follow. And this will allow you to write data to the local gateway cached up to 2.7 Gbps. And you can read data from the cloud up to 0.7 Gbps. So following those best practices will allow you to do that. Now, the tape gateway fits into your architecture by basically providing a virtualized tape-based backup device. It basically allows you to present it as a tape library to your existing uh, data protection solution, most of which can write to tapes. 
They've been doing that for many, many years. And what this does is relieve you with the burden of having a tape drive or a tape library. And some of them are quite big. There are big robotic ones out there. And simply using the virtualized gateway to store that data and save it on S3. And that way it allows you to manage that very, very easily. It's been a big uh, big month for performance updates. So Amazon FSx for Lustre, which is a high-performance file system, often used for machine learning, high-performance compute analytics, lots of reasons why people like to use this. It's now even easier to process data residing on Amazon S3 because there are now some new options around writing data back and also better performance. In fact, it's twice the data transfer speeds between FSx for Lustre and S3. This means you can get going quickly and you can turn things off quickly as well. So twice as fast is always a good thing. And you now have the option to rewrite your data back to existing objects rather than uh, creating new objects. So in the past, if you changed uh, any files or created new files, they're always written as new objects in a uh, predefined location within your S3 bucket. Now you have the option to overwrite the original objects in your S3 bucket or write new or changed ones to a prefix that you specify. Basically, it's about having flexibility in your data processing workflow. These enhancements are available in all new file systems in all regions where FSx for Lustre is available. If you work in the media service as well, there have been a few updates that would be hopefully pretty useful and interesting to you. AWS Elemental Media Convert has added a new feature, the IMF Package Ingest or Interoperable Master Format. And it's also enhanced an existing feature, which is called Caption Burn-In. And this has added several new languages to that capability. Chinese, traditional and simplified, Japanese, Korean, Thai, and Burmese are all now available. And this gives you a lot more options in terms of how you build your workflow. And I know that uh, media workflows can be very complex, time-consuming, and tricky. So hopefully that helps. If you're using AWS Elemental Media Live, it now supports AWS CloudTrail, so you can log what's going on when you're using that particular service. And it also supports resource tagging. Plus, they've added support for iframe-only HLS manifests and JPEG outputs. This is really useful when you're doing uh, scrubbing and reference to content with uh, without having to spin the whole content up, etc. Again, very much workflow-specific, but this may help you optimize what you're doing. Let's talk developer tools. You may remember back uh, in November last year, we announced uh, a preview of something called Amazon Coretto. Uh, it is now generally available. So Amazon Coretto 8 is a no-cost, multi-platform, production-ready distribution of OpenJDK 8. And so that, that is generally available and available for production use. Now, there's been lots of updates since we released it in preview, uh, including updating it to version 8U202. So you can see everything that's supported, where you can use it. You can use it on uh, Amazon Linux 2. There's an official Docker image, et cetera, et cetera. We're also working on Coretto 11 builds that correspond to OpenJDK 11. And we plan to release this in time for testing before April 2019. So if this is a component of your platform that you've been using, uh, it is now generally available and definitely worth taking a look. Something else worth taking a look at is AWS Code Pipeline, which now supports deploying to Amazon S3. Now, I don't know about you, but I have not deployed a web server for many a year now because I'm all about static S3 websites. They make life a lot easier and they do everything I need them to do. The good thing is, is that now with AWS Code Pipeline, you can deploy anything that's static to S3 using the pipeline. So this could be really useful, obviously, for static website content, artifacts for your build process, who knows what? There are many things you might want to store there and uh, this makes it much, much easier. 
If you're using AWS Cloud9, which is a cloud-based integration development environment or IDE, which is a really nice way to just get up and get coding without having to deploy anything on your laptop, et cetera, you just use the browser. It is now uh, providing AWS Cloud Trail logging. So now you can easily track changes that were made to Cloud9. And this, of course, gets sent to an Amazon S3 bucket. That means you can have complete visibility into Cloud9 environment creation, deletion, and other components as well. AWS Code Build now supports accessing images from a private Docker registry. So in the past, you could use Docker images from Docker Hub or Amazon ECR. Now you can also use uh, private Docker registries as well. So again, this gives you a little bit more uh, flexibility in how you build your environments. And you can access these registries that are hosted on Amazon VPC. Uh, you can also store your registry credentials in AWS Secrets Manager. So this makes it very secure. Lots of information in the show notes, a nice little way to integrate this into your environment. And it's been a big month for developers. If you like to use AWS Step Functions and you want to test them locally and do development locally, you can now do that. AWS Step Functions now runs locally. Essentially what you do is you get either a jar package or a Docker image and you can run it locally on your laptop, on your local machine and you can do all your test activities, et cetera. When it's time to deploy into production, you simply make a few minor changes to the code so it'll use the step functions web service versus the local copy, bingo, bango, away you go. So this hopefully will make your uh, development pipeline even easier. If you're a .NET Core user, then you'll be hopefully excited to know that AWS X-Ray SDK for .NET Core is now generally available. Now, AWS X-Ray helps developers analyze and debug their distributed applications. So things that use a, a microservices architecture typically have lots and lots of components that are loosely coupled, which is a good thing, but that can make visualizing your environment a little more tricky. AWS X-Ray does this for you, shows you the latencies, errors, and other interconnect issues that might be going on in your environment, lets you manage and monitor it very, very easily. This now supports the uh, .NET Core platform as well, so you can start using that in your environment too. Let's move on to analytics. So Amazon Elasticsearch has a few updates. I'm only gonna brush on them because we're going to do a special deep dive into this topic very soon, but it doubles the maximum cluster capacity. Now has support for 200 nodes, which is pretty cool. So to give you a example of that, if you use i3 instances, that can store up to 15 terabytes of data per node, you can now have up to three petabytes of data in a single cluster. That's one big cluster, let me tell you, that's a good one. It also now supports Elasticsearch 6.4 as well and Kibana 6.4, so some uh, features and improvements that you might want to take advantage of are available to you now as well. And Amazon Elasticsearch service now also supports three availability zone deployments. In the past, you could deploy across two AZs, now you can automatically deploy across three. So three is better than two, so now you have the option for that. If you're doing big data process with Amazon EMR, you can now use an external Kerberos KDC to authenticate your applications and users running on your EMR cluster with EMR release 5.20.0 or later. So what this feature allows you to do is to connect multiple Kerberized EMR clusters to a central external KDC and it allows applications running inside these clusters that use Kerberos for authentication to cross-authenticate with each other without you needing to establish cross-realm trust. So this is really useful if you want uh, multiple clusters to authenticate to a central location uh, to access data and submit and run jobs. And it just creates a better security posture for you in your environment, so that's available now. 
I know a lot of our listeners have been using AWS Glue and have been enjoying that as a service to be able to map, manage, and transform their environments from a data perspective. Well, the AWS Glue data catalog client for Apache Hive Metastore is now available for download. So that's now available in the, the link provided in the show notes in the GitHub repository. And what this allows you to do is to see how it works, how it plugs in, and use it in your own environment. This client runs on any Amazon EMR cluster with Apache Hive 2.x that uses AWS Glue data catalog as an external data metastore. In the AI and ML world, there have been quite a lot of updates going on. Amazon Comprehend is now integrated with AWS CloudTrail. So Amazon Comprehend is a natural language processing service that allows you to find insights and relationships in text. Now any asynchronous Amazon Comprehend API calls are recorded with AWS CloudTrail. So you can see what's going on in your environment even better. If you're using Amazon Recognition Video, object bounding boxes and more accurate object and scene detection are now available. So now you can identify thousands of common objects and scenes in a video, as well as the timestamp each of them for when those label appears. You can also get much better accuracy for all existing labels across a variety of use cases. You also get a lot better bounding box support, which means you can use these coordinates to identify the specifics in a particular environment. And it can also do things like counting objects. So you can say, well, find me all the cars in the picture. Now count how many cars there are. So there's three cars or relationships. So maybe a person staying next to a car, etc. Lots and lots of interesting information you can use for this and it gets used for all kinds of safety applications. There's been an update to Amazon Elastic Inference, which is a service that really allows you to attach uh, accelerators to any Amazon SageMaker or EC2 instance type to really speed up your deep learning inference workloads. So it now supports TensorFlow 1.12 with a new Python API for deploying TensorFlow models. So this will allow you to be even more flexible about how you use this in your environment, really applying this type of uh, uh, acceleration or, or hardware capability to your uh, ML workflows is really, really effective. There are also some updates in the AWS Deep Learning AMIs. There is now the, of course, the updated Amazon Elastic Inference for TensorFlow. There is TensorBoard 1.12.1 and MMS 1.0.1. Try and say that fast. And this includes a whole lot of other really interesting upgrades to the Deep Learning AMI. So this is a really great platform to get started if you want to get super deep in the technology and you want access to all the toys. The Deep Learning AMI is definitely the one to grab. Amazon SageMaker Batch Transform now supports TF record format. So this is a standard TensorFlow record format. It's basically a record-oriented binary format, which is really useful for particular kinds of workloads. So this format now joins support for other formats, which include record IO, CSV, and text for Amazon SageMaker. So even more flexibility about how you build your machine learning workloads. And finally, on the ML side of things, Amazon Transcribe, which is an automatic speech recognition service, it now supports US Spanish speech to text in real time. So this means you can be running that translation as you go rather than doing it in a batch format. Let's talk databases, because let's face it, everything comes back to databases eventually. You've got to put your data somewhere. Amazon Redshift has an update. You can now update table statistics by running Analyze automatically. So if you work in the data world, you know that table statistics are important to figure out the optimal query execution plans and running an Analyze is the thing you need to do to keep up to date. You can now run this automatically. You don't specifically have to execute the Analyze command yourself. So this makes it very useful. Uh, also an explicit analyze, if you run your analyze yourself, it'll skip tables that already have an up-to-date set of statistics as well. This is very nice. This is available in release 1.0.5671 or higher in all AWS commercial regions. 
There's also been an update to AWS Glue. You can now have what are called Python shell jobs that run in AWS Glue. Now, previously, uh, jobs that you're writing for AWS Glue were limited to those that ran in a serverless Apache Spark environment. Now you can use Python shell jobs to, for example, submit SQL queries to different services, etc. Gives you a lot of interesting capability. Uh, the Glue support uh, supports scripts that are compatible with uh, Python 2.7 and it comes preloaded with things like our old friend Bodo 3, uh, NumPy, SciPy, Pandas and others. Gee, if someone heard me say that, they'd wonder, what was I talking about? Uh, and uh, this gives you a lot of flexibility in how you develop and using what might be a very familiar language to you. A whole raft of updates on the Amazon RDS side. PostgreSQL now supports the T3 instance type, which is a very useful burstable uh, CPU type performance mode. So really useful for, for dev test environments and also for particular types of workloads. The Amazon RDS for Oracle now also supports that T3 instance type. And a few other updates for Amazon RDS for Oracle. It now supports SQL T diagnostics, uh, an upgraded version for SQL Explain. And it also supports the January 2019 Oracle patch set updates and release updates as well. So you can apply the patches you need to your environment very, very easily. And finally on the data side, let's go schemaless. Let's go NoSQL. Uh, Amazon DynamoDB Local. So this is for your local environment to do dev test work on your laptop, etc. It now has support for transactional APIs, on-demand capacity mode, and up to 20 global secondary indexes. Now, this is available for download as a self-contained Docker image or a jar file that you can run on Microsoft Windows, Linux, Mac OS, and other platforms that support Java. So you have lots of uh, capability to use this in your development environment. And this is what you need if you want to do that famous development on a plane. Although most planes have internet these days, so that's kind of going away. Let's talk networking and content delivery. So Elastic Load Balancing now supports TLS termination on network load balances. So what this means is you can now offload the decryption and encryption of TLS traffic from your application service to the network load balancer. This is useful for optimizing the performance of your backend application service whilst keeping your workload secure. The other nice thing is network load balancers preserve the source IP of the targets to the backend applications whilst terminating TLS on the load balancer. Lots of other uh, good information about this, how to use the uh, integrated certificate services, etc. But this is available now. I know a lot of people have been waiting for this one. If you use a content delivery network, then Amazon CloudFront has announced six new edge locations across the United States and France. They are in uh, Atlanta. There are two of. Chicago, Dallas, and Houston. Uh, this capacity increases uh, request processing capacity by up to 50% on average in these particular areas. And there's a new edge location located in Paris, France as well. So this is just constant growth of the edge locations to improve customer experience. And we're also really, really excited to announce that AWS Site-to-Site VPN now supports Internet Key Exchange version 2, or IKE v2, for tunnel setup. I know a lot of customers want this particular level of uh, encryption and capability. It is now available for you to use. You can still use IKE v1, uh, but you can also now use IKE v2. This lets you have access to the newer and stronger protocol in establishing your VPN. Let's talk compute. And I love talking about price reductions. I think everyone who listens to the podcast knows this is the, the case. And so uh, really great to announce that Amazon EC2 X1 instance pricing has been reduced by 25% in the Asia-Pacific Mumbai region. So this is a great reduction for those instance types that really support big in-memory databases like SAP HANA, uh, big data processing engines like Apache Spark or Presto, high-performance compute, etc. 
a really flexible and pretty chunky instance type, uh, it's now 25% cheaper. If you're using Amazon EKS, uh, it now has ISO and PCI compliance. So this is the Elastic Container Service for Kubernetes. I know a lot of customers like to have those levels of compliance, particularly the PCI DSS standard, which is all about managing credit card information for customers based upon merchant rules, etc. AWS Fargate now has support for AWS PrivateLink. So this means you can create PrivateLink endpoints for ECR and Fargate. You can pull container images without needing to traverse the public internet at all. So this makes it really easy to secure environment within your VPC. The AWS Elastic Beanstalk now has support for Ruby 2.6. So this has a whole lot of new performance improvements and new features like a just-in-time compiler and all sorts of other cool stuff. So if you're a Rubyist, this will make life a bit easier for you. We also have uh, Elastic Beanstalk support for .NET Core 2.2. So you can take advantage of all those updates. Amazon ECS and Amazon ECR, so the containers, Elastic Container Service and Elastic Container Registry, also now have support for AWS Private Link, similar to earlier on what I described. You can now encapsulate that all within your VPC. And GPU support for Amazon ECS is also now available. So now you can run machine learning and high-performance computing applications on your Elastic Container Service containers with access to EC2 GPU instances uh, very, very easily. So this means you can create clusters with the EC2 P2 and P3 instances, and you can use specific ECS GPU-optimized AMIs. So these have kernel drivers for NVIDIA cards, et cetera, that allow you to get maximum performance of your containers using this particular hardware, which is a very, very nifty indeed. Speaking of getting the most out of your hardware, AWS Batch now supports running workloads with access to Amazon EC2 A1 instances, which are our ARM-based AWS Gravitron processor-based instances, and EC2 G3 graphics accelerated instances. So now when you're building your very large batch jobs, you have a huge amount of flexibility about which types of instances you want to run. Often the A1 instances deliver cost savings for customer workloads that can run on ARM instructions and fit in the memory footprint so you can get better value for money. And the benefit of the G3 instances are things like uh, rendering workloads, visual effects, uh, virtual workstations for design and engineering, et cetera. It gives you the grunt you need to manage that. Let's talk about some solutions and some data that's available to you. You can now deploy MicroFocus Enterprise Server on AWS with a new Quick Start. This is an application deployment environment for IBM mainframe applications that have been running on the IBM ZOS system. And you know I have a very soft space in my heart for COBOL and mainframes because, yes, that's where I started. Well, within about an hour and 15 minutes, you can be up and running using this particular solution. So the cloud formation for that is available. Another really interesting thing available for customers is AWS public data sets. Now, we have a large range of data sets available to you up there on S3, you can share them, you can process them, you can copy them, etc. We have additional data sets available. For machine learning, there's the massively multilingual image data set from the University of Pennsylvania. From an environmental standpoint, there's the atmospheric deterministic and probabilistic forecast from the UK Meteorological Office. The scientific information for landowners or silo from the Queensland government, go Queensland. The Safecast air quality and radiation data from Safecast. From a geospatial perspective, there's the USG3 3DEP LiDAR point clouds from Hobu Inc. And the China-Brazil Earth Resources Satellite Seaburst from AMS Kepler. From an astronomy standpoint, there's the Transiting Exoplanet Survey Satellite or TESS from the Space Telescope Science Institute. From a housing perspective, there's the Open City model from Build Zero. From a life sciences perspective, there's the Microbiome Research User Tutorial datasets from QIIME2. 
So this is really about democratizing access to data by making it available for analysis on AWS and allows you to run cloud-native workloads and cloud-native processing mechanisms on these large data sets without having to get access to them and moving them around, which is very nice. So I hope that's useful for you. Another couple of quick starts available to you. There's the Active Directory domain services on the AWS cloud. So there is a major update to this existing quick start that allows you to get some uh, different scenarios uh, supported and allows you to run workloads in the AWS cloud that require secure low latency connectivity to ADDS and domain name system services. There's also a new solution called the Media to Cloud solution. And this is really about streamlining, automating and setting up a serverless end-to-end ingestion workflow for metadata, proxy video and image thumbnails to manage large video content and allow you to migrate your video assets and associated metadata to the cloud. So this uses a whole lot of different components including Amazon Recognition, Amazon Transcribe, Amazon Comprehend and really allows you to do a lot of ingestion and analysis without having to do the undifferentiated heavy lifting of putting all the components together. So if you work in the media space, this would be a great thing to look at. A quick look at business applications. If you're using Alexa for business, there is now a simplified setup process for shared Echo devices. And these are usually set up using the Alexa for business desktop setup tool. And so now the IT administrator of an organization can also use the Alexa companion app to set up the devices. And this makes it really easy to import the devices as shared devices onto the Alexa for Business console. It's really an optimization of the process that you use. Let's talk briefly about cost management. There are now normalized units information for Amazon EC2 reservations in the AWS Cost Explorer. So this allows you to visualize and monitor your reservations both at a high level, so just the cost savings, or for highly specific requests. So maybe it could be a regional EC2 reservation if used by a particular account, etc. Now you can get the normalized units associated with those reservations in the Cost Explorer so you can do much easier comparison and analysis. It's one of those things to kind of have a look at and you'll go, ah, I see what it's doing. Uh, Makes life a lot easier to help you save money. A quick update from a migration and transfer perspective, the AWS Migration Hub now supports importing your on-premises server and application data to help track your migration process. So you can import data from things like a CMDB, an IT asset management system, or any of the AWS migration partner discovery tools. And once these are imported, the migrations of those servers and applications will be tracked in the migration hub. So this gives you that end-to-end visibility of what's going on. Quick application integration update, Amazon SNS message filtering, which is a really powerful function for choosing what gets processed where, now supports blacklisting of multiple string values using the anything but operator. Don't we wish you could use the anything but operator in other activities as well? Uh, This makes it really easy to set the criteria for message filtering. So now you can offload the message filtering logic from your subscriber systems and put it into the SNS system. Some updates around management and governance. The AWS Trusted Advisor now expands functionality with some new best practices checks. In fact, it has nine new checks. It includes things like DynamoDB read and write capacity, some data around Route 53 hosted zones and policies, some driver support for particular Windows environments and NVMe driver versioning, etc. So this is all about providing automated checking across your account at all times. So AWS Trusted Advisor is definitely a tool you should be using. It's very, very powerful and covers a whole lot of checks that you just don't have to worry about anymore. AWS Systems Manager, which is a really useful service to enable your desired state configuration through something called State Manager, it now enforces configuration at the instance level. So what this means is you can have configuration management on resources like instance profiles, security groups, and images as well. 
This really helps you manage your environment very, very easily and it supports both in-guest and instance-level configuration now as well. There's an increase for AWS config rules. So now you can have up to 150 AWS config rules per account per region by default, which is increased from the previous limit of 50. Some updates for CloudFormation. It now has the update replace policy attribute. So this helps you specify how CloudFormation manages your resources when they need to be replaced during an update operation. So using this particular attribute, you can specify if it should delete, retain, or create a snapshot of old resources once the new ones have been created. It basically defaults to delete if you don't specify this option, but this gives you a little bit more control. A couple of other quick updates. You can now automate your WebSocket API creation for Amazon API Gateway using CloudFormation. And there is also now support for AWS OpsWorks for, Chef's automa- for Chef Automate, I should say. And AWS OpsWorks for Puppet Enterprise is now supported in CloudFormation as well. Now, often managing who has access to what is a key consideration for certain people in the organization, you can now find and update access keys, password, and MFA settings easily using the AWS Management Console. So you can see it all in the one place using the My Security Credentials page in the console. This really keeps it easy to keep track of everything and make sure you're using the minimum number of resources and minimum number of access points to get the job done. Quick update for the Amazon CloudWatch agent. It now has support for Procstat plugin and multiple configuration files. So you can include even more logging data in your overall picture. And finally on this topic, the AWS single sign-on, AWS SSO now enables you to configure additional settings that let you have email-based verification for improved security of your users when they sign in. Uh, You can enable email-based verification in a user-friendly context-aware mode or a compliance-friendly always-on mode. You get to choose how it behaves. And the last bit of the updates for today around end-user computing, we now have something new called Amazon WorkLink. Now, this is an ability to securely access your internal websites and web apps from mobile devices. This is a fully managed service that lets you provide your employees with a secure one-click access to your internal corporate websites and web apps using their mobile phones. Essentially, this is like accessing a public website for them. However, they can get into the corporate network in a secure way. The interesting part is Amazon WorkLink sends the contents of the page they're looking at to their phones as vector graphics while preserving the functionality and interactivity of the page. Now, this is more secure than traditional solutions because internal content is never stored or cached by the browser or on the employee phone, and they never connect directly to your particular corporate network. Now, currently, this is available in U.S. East North Virginia, U.S. East Ohio, U.S. West Oregon, and Europe Island. Uh, Take a look. It's a very interesting service. And finally, if you're an AppStream 2.0 user, it now supports custom scripts before session start and after session termination. This simplifies really common scenarios for administrators. You know, you can customize things based on user identity. You may configure specific applications before a session starts. You may want to collect logs after the session finishes. Many reasons why you'd like to do this. This is available to you now. So lots of updates. Hope something in there has tickled your fancy and thought, oh, I could use that. And we do love to get your feedback. AWS podcast at amazon.com is the place to send that. And until next time, keep on building.